Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Really hope this goth phase ends soon. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hello there, my name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to your Boo Crew Podcast, episode 413. We have been looking forward to this film since it was first announced a couple of years ago. We know you have to. It is finally here. The brilliant Diablo Cody returns to the show and brings with her the creative genius director Zelda Williams for their new film, Lisa Frankenstein. A time of release in theaters everywhere this week, February 9th. Join us on the tanning bed as we explore this wonderfully charming, neon-infused 80s Victorian-era goth romance by way of monsters, gummy rings, and blood. So the conversation is spoiler-free, except for one section that you're going to hear at the very end. And I moved it there, so it might sound completely out of context, but I put a big old spoiler warning just before it. So don't worry about accidentally stumbling into it. That will be where this episode will end for you. And when you do see the film, come right back and get some fun insight into one of its most unforgettable moments. Right now, sit back, hang out with Diablo Cody and Zelda Williams for Lisa Frankenstein. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls on to the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio are two wildly talented storytellers. She is an effervescent voice whose work continues to have a monumental impact on pop culture. A best-selling author and blogger, after earning an Oscar for her debut film Juno in 2007, it quickly became evident that her work has a powerful and unique gravitational pull. After over 30 awards later, films including Jennifer's Body, Tully, Ricky and the Flash, Young Adult, the two-time Emmy-winning United States of Terra, and grabbing a Tony Award for the Broadway musical Jack little pill her approach is so unforgettable refreshing and pioneering that it just ruminates creating unforgettable and ripple effects that are kind of echoed in media and cinema for years and years after as her work is continuously rediscovered and celebrated for its timeless potency also here with us is one of the most thrilling and exciting multi-hyphenates in the entertainment industry she is an award-winning voice artist who's brought to life the biggest animated and uh, video game projects the world over from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles King's Quest the Emmy winning The Legend of Korra. As an actor, she's appeared on the two-time Emmy-nominated Jane the Virgin, Lauren's favorite show in the world. I love People's it. Choice Award-winning <laughs> Criminal Minds, a 23-time award-winning Teen Wolf, Freeform's Phenomenal Dead of Summer, which I really recommend you track down on <laughs> your favorite streaming platform. She's also a gifted filmmaker, having created several music videos. She uh, did, did the CW's Kappa Kappa Die in 2018, her short film Shrimp, which she also wrote and starred and premiered at Tribeca, where it was picked up by Gunpowder and Sky to turn into a full-fledged series. She ignites everything she does with a galvanizing vision that is truly immersive and absolutely electric. So together, their new film is this glorious, 
80s drenched horror rom-com by way of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and just about every universal monster movie ever made. An awkward teenage girl uses a tanning bed to reanimate a Victorian era corpse. Needless to say, it's absolute eye candy through and through. Completely original. The much anticipated Lisa Frankenstein only in theaters February 9th. We are honored to welcome its writer Diablo Cody and with her feature film debut, director Zelda Williams. Yeah. Uh, that was the greatest introduction I've ever been given, and I need to copy paste that for whoever gives my eulogy because I was v- I'm very into that. Thank Your you. Your breath control is very impressive as well. I don't know where you breathe in there. I'm embarrassed in, in front of a professional voiceover artist there. So last time we saw Diablo was a year, uh, almost a year ago, at the Wallace Theater. Yes, for the the live reading of Jennifer's Body. That's right. Which was, I have to say. It, the Jennifer's Bodissance, shall we call it, <laughs> yes! has been a, just such an, an exciting and electrifying thing for me to see a new audience discover that film and being able to do that live raid with like cool young people. And <laughs> that was like, <laughs> that was, that was a lot of fun. That was so cool. And that, yeah, that event was kind of, um, Part of that big, big explosion that really kind of took off in the 10 year anniversary, right? Shortly after you were here last, right? It was yeah. like 2019. All these events started popping up and now it's it's become like social media memes sort of exploded bigger than ever before. And it really just grows and grows. What was it like to kind of sit back during that time? And just watch what was happening in celebration of that. I mean, it's it's gotten progressively happier for me at first i was like i was excited about it obviously but i was also a little bit salty because i remember thinking well where was this audience (laughs) exactly when the movie came out and it was you know a critical commercial failure i was pretty humiliated to be perfectly honest with you like it was a rough experience having that movie come out it was rough for me it was rough for megan so when people started suddenly talking about it like it was a good movie which i had thought all along so did uh, I, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I've always loved them. I mean, I, lo- I love my OGs, uh, but um, it was uh, at first I just thought, oh, where, where, where was this audience when I needed it? And then I realized they were like seven. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, These ones were, yeah. Yeah, some of them were, and then some people have, you know, who maybe didn't appreciate it at the time have come around, and it's now I'm just like, there's no saltiness. I'm just happy. Like it's our kid's favorite movie. She's 14. It's amazing that. that it's still exactly relevant to, you know, uh, people this this day and age in this generation. It's it's a real testament to what went into that movie. Yeah, she was Jennifer Check for Halloween. For Halloween. Oh, I'd yeah. love to hear that. But you also found some of the Scream Queens and Kings who are still now doing so much great horror stuff, too, because Kyle Gallner is a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. Now he's got two kids, but he's he just did Smile. Yeah, he's yeah I so love that. Much great and stuff. it's like... That was the beginning of when people were like, who's the hot emo boy? (laughs) (laughs) I love I love to hear that. That's Karen Kusama. She was uh, I mean, she's incredible, but she she had such a a specific and solid vision for that movie. And she just carried it through it. I'm I'm happy for her, too. We've both been enjoying it immensely. So Zelda was your first exposure to Diablo through Jennifer's body or. No, Um, when I first moved to L.A., I was laughing with her about this the other day because, of course, I made it all the way through filming uh, while forgetting to tell her. (laughs) Uh, One of the first things I auditioned for when I moved to L.A. was Juno. Really? uh, For the best friend character. And I mean, this was ages ago, but I remember it so distinctly. And then after that, I remember Jennifer's body. But Juno went on to be such a like wild phenomenon that I remember still having the script and being like, this is cool. I should keep this. (laughs) I still have it. It's in my house. 
That is so funny. And then all these years later. So I'm also curious as as far as like the mechanics of, of bringing Lisa Frankenstein to life. Did what was going on with Jennifer's body help propel the Lisa Frankenstein machine in any way, shape or form? I'm hoping it has. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it wasn't a calculated thing where I thought to myself, oh, I should write another right. movie with a Jennifer's body vibe because people are getting it now. I just I think I had wanted to for a long time. And now I actually felt like I had the permission and the freedom to do so. Yeah. Because I think, um, yeah, you know, I'd always wanted to write something in that genre and I kind of got my heart broken and suddenly I had the confidence to get back into it. Mm. So. so how long ago did the whole script idea start coming I, together? I wrote it in uh, like peak pandemic, like 2020, oh, wow. March and April. So it's fresh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <gasps> um, and uh, I... I had always in my mind been bandying about the idea of doing a teenage girl and reanimated corpse boyfriend story. I, that had always been one kind of in the the back of my mind. But at the time, I mean, you guys remember, it was just unbelievably surreal, mm-hmm. dark moment in history. And I just thought this is I'm 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 locked inside. I'm suddenly the homeschool teacher of three children. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, oh, my oh. God. That was hell. It was so gnarly. Oh, my God. That's a horror movie. Like, <laughs> that is. Somebody needs to write that one. We found um, our kid in the closet. Like, he was supposed to be on Zoom with his teacher. He was in the closet the whole he day playing video games. 47 absences, and we never left this we, house. Yeah. <laughs> so, where were you? <laughs> Didn't learn anything that year. It was horrible. Yeah, it was. I, I, I honestly, not to derail this podcast and turn it into parenting gripes, but like, I think the effects of that year that they lost are still oh, oh there. Definitely. My little brother's a high school teacher. They yeah. believe me. They're like, oh, we're watching kids be three, four years behind. Yeah, it, it was. It was not great. But yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna write my dead boyfriend movie now. <laughs> so at night, I can escape from this reality we're in. What was your gateway into it? What were some of the first elements that you started putting into it? Like, when did the tanning bed come into the picture? Okay, so I was thinking to myself, I, that, uh, that was a really great moment because I was uh, originally I was going to have uh, it be a malfunctioning crimping iron. <laughs> and that's why the movie starts with her doing her hair, because really? initially she had electrocuted herself with the crimping iron and then later realizes, oh, I can use this to reanimate body parts but it didn't really work because it's like what how is this gonna you're gonna put it on a hand yeah exactly yeah. like it just wasn't it, it's cinematic and the it, last it, body part would have been really hard <laughs> <laughs> just saying but, trying to think about that in my head i was like we were never getting no. pg-13 then and i was like i don't think the crimping iron is working and i started to and then i just I, th- I don't know if I was watching TV and I saw a tanning bed open and realized it looked like a <laughs> coffin or and I just went, oh, my God, it's a tanning bed. And suddenly, like, I swear the poster was in my head. Like, I knew. So and That's why I'm happy the second poster has the tanning bed I know, because it, it looks so good. <laughs> and as far as, like, the, the collision of eras, right, the, the 80s kind of thing going and then we pull the Victorian era, we're pulling German expressionism, like, <laughs> universal monsters, like, all this stuff and, and putting it into the... How much of that was in your head and in the script and how much of that became Zelda's vision? I mean, so much of it was Zelda's vision. I mean, I... I in the script, I think I alluded to wanting those things, yeah. but yeah. I would never know how to execute them. So I would just be like, and there's going to be like a weird animatronic in this dream sequence. That's like yeah, the cat like, was oh. definitely you wrote that on the page. I did. But then you made it happen. Well, originally, she was supposed to be wearing it. Yes. And it was so <laughs> clunky because it's a puppeted cat. 
thing, and I'm the one puppeting it because you have to be SAG to puppeteer anything on a set. See, I didn't know this. I, I love finding I things the, out about production. I puppeted the doll things. that spins its yeah. head and the cat. Um, but we couldn't put it on Catherine, so we like put it. It's most of it is just it was on the page, and then I would just take one step towards weird choices and we were like great because <laughs> there used to be a lot of cabinet of dr caligari jokes in the script as well oh, and really yeah there were a bunch there was one in the car yeah and some of them just didn't make it because i think again it as you said it is it's slightly niche um and i don't know if the young kids were kind of catching what she was putting out sure. but it's still definitely there in the dream sequence oh, you're yeah. right it's like some of the jokes it's like the taffy her stepsister call accidentally calls Dr. Caligari, Dr. Fellini's fettuccine. And I was like, yeah. this is the funniest joke I've ever written. And of course, I love that cut. joke. No, it's only funny to people like us. <laughs> I love that's it. great. Yeah. So then what about you guys meeting up and, and Zelda being the one that you kind of entrusted this project with? I just got super lucky. Yeah. I mean, and I we didn't seen... get to meet in person for a while. No, I mean, it was a pandemic. Were... Yeah. So was the script oh, just going around and you found it? How did it? The magic of email. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to like sneak it onto her doorstep or anything like that so did you email her just out of the blue or what so my boyfriend knew zelda or was an admirer of yours i guess not in a creepy way no we were friends you were friends because he needed like i think someone to just be like you're gonna be good you got this years ago and then we would just check in on each other periodically which i think is very cool yeah and he said he was one of the first people to read the script and he said do you know who Zelda Williams is? And I said, of course, I've I've heard of her, but I'm not familiar with her work as a director. And he said, check it out. He's like, I just have this feeling that this would be great for her. And he was right. He That's was very right. Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. so, I love that. So, and she was the only director that I spoke to. I mean, I just, wow. I met her and said, oh, she completely gets it. This is going to, this is good. She's going to crush it. And they send it to me and I read it so quickly and then was immediately, I think I, rem- I remember sending an email back being like, tell me what the fuck I have to do. Like tell wow. me, tell me what flaming hoops to jump through, and yeah. I made this really long lookbook because um, I I'm quite fond of references and images, and like that's more how my brain works when I want to explain something to people because mm-hmm. then they have an idea of the look of it, and I can just focus on then the tone and when I'm talking to them. So I just sent them that really long yeah. lookbook with. Wow! <laughs> it went from there. If I was to explain the back half of the movie to somebody. You you could take it two different ways. It either sounds like the most <laughs> disgusting, insane spectacle you've ever seen. I'm curious, as uh, Diablo, like how much the tone changed with Zelda's stamp that she put on it. You know, I'd say that it, what Zelda did was actually make the tone consistent. Interesting. Through, because okay. I, when I was writing it. I tend to think that I have a decent grasp on tone when I write, but sometimes there's, it can vacillate wildly because, you know, this movie has romantic moments. It has mm-hmm. moments about grief, and then it also has, you know, gonzo kills in it. And <laughs> I I remember thinking, like, how is this going to work? Like, is this going to feel like a, a pastiche of tones? And then when I watch the movie, I feel that it is totally consistent from beginning to end. It does get wilder in the back end, but of course you want that to happen with a movie like this. Minus and maybe the dream sequence. That's the only time I'm looking at it. I was like, is anyone else going to get this? They better, because it's my favorite <laughs> the part. The dream sequence is extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But it's so much of this movie is just Zelda. 
And I love that. That's why I love to collaborate. Nice. Like this is best. everything is her on the page, dude. That well, was where it all came from. Did things change? Did were you no. changing the script at all on the fly when you guys got together and change ideas so. that were originally I, there? I don't remember there being a lot of. There was that. only like a couple jokes that we tried out, especially with Liza because yeah. she was so funny sure, yeah, that yeah. we even gave her more to do. Whereas Catherine was already like essentially Madeline Kahn in in a new little fun redheaded wigged body that I was yeah. like, we're good, we're yeah. set. And Cole's a consummate professional, has been since he was a literal baby. Yeah. So you're just surrounded by capable people. It was all on the page though. Even like the for one of the first scenes where Lisa gets electrocuted, she gets into the car and immediately they're having this really funny conversation with her and Taffy. I remember reading that on the page and being like, Oh, this is such a simple scene to shoot because the dialogue is so perfect exactly as it is. And the only thing that ended up changing was we removed the lady in the middle of the road. That's right. There used to be a crazy lady that was kind of like a red herring, really funny part. And we shot this really lovely stunt actress because she nearly gets hit by a car. And that was the only thing that was one of the only things we ended up cutting because it just ended up confusing people. They were like, "Does she ever come back? Is she important?" And you were like, "No, this was kind of the '80s thing." Is they would do these red herrings, right, right, See, and right. I'm, it's also my my weirdo brain because I'm just like, for me, I was like, this woman represents Lisa's fear of insanity, her fear of mm-hmm. aging, um, and there was a couple of moments with the in the original script with this creepy older woman, and it, then it's like, it was just. I think too personal. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, like, I want to see that scene though. Is that going to be on like a DVD? I want. I see. hope so. Yeah, it's not a- one of the R-rated scenes. There's a couple R-rated ones that God knows if they'll ever come out. But like a bunch of the ones that just didn't make it into the movie. Um, I'm sure they're bringing. I know they're bringing back the one that was really cute where she's cleaning up the blood and he's wearing the like cassette tape. Oh yeah, that's right. so cute. It was just so. It, Everything that she built was just so easy to then take and be like, okay, it's kind of like the difference between a blueprint and then the three-dimensional model Mm -hmm. when you deal with architecture. That's all I was doing is being like, okay, so this is where the walls go and this is where the roof goes. And it was like every single day was just so fun, especially the building of your house. That was one of the (laughs) ones we talk about a lot. The house that she described with all the like the sea foam and the pink and the seashells and the... (laughs) like perfect and I went oh we're gonna run with this I mean those pastel houses of the 90s and the 80s were their own kind of horror oh yeah, the, yeah I yeah. say it's a phantasmagoria truly with the the beach themed bathrooms <laughs> and like this this incredible house that we're in right now this is not spooky to me it's great spooky to me is, <laughs> is that a peach couch <laughs> when we almost made them plat like the vinyl plastic wrapped as yeah, well but yeah, then our yeah. sound guy was like I will murder you because those <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that <laughs> I tried because those were the couches and the houses that freaked me out when I was a kid where like you couldn't sit right on yeah plastic the yeah. good couch because yeah. it was covered and you're like for who yeah. this is for the Italian American community they <laughs> oh, I, and I, the Asian Americans yeah they me, love very the similar. plastic cover on the couch I can tell you that that was so much my childhood was going to friends' houses and being like, so you can't sit on the couch, but it's there. Yes. But I, they, the vinyl is so squeaky that the sound guy was like, I'm, I, you will hate me and I will hate you. And I'm like, fine, we won't do it. So is this all soundstage or do you find a street somewhere? The interior of the house is. Okay. Everything else. Um, so the bedroom and the interior of the house were our like built stages. Yeah. 
that we could really control. And the outside, the pink. That's a real person's house. A they were real? lovely. And by no the way, way, we did not repaint it. That was really? the color. Really? Yeah. That was how it was. Wow. And they're big movie nerds and they were lovely. Oh my gosh, what a cool experience. And their shed, them. the the tanning booth shed was already there too. We were just like, can we turn this into a shrine to like a teenage girl? Oh <laughs> yeah, that way. worked out perfectly. Yeah. Didn't it? The Boo Crew will be right back. They make you in the garage with power tools? Surprise. They gave her life. Just like Frankenstein, except cuter. Now, she's turning their lives, their minds, and their house upside down. What's going on? It's purely sexual. That's the truth, baby. Universal Pictures presents Weird Science. Written and directed by John Hughes. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Starts Friday at select theaters. do you think is empowered by going away from the r rating and making it something that more people can experience hmm. i have to say uh i'm i'm witnessing the power of the pg-13 on a personal level because mm-hmm. my oldest is 13 now and all of his friends want to go see this movie mm. and not because it's like their friend's mom they could care less like <laughs> that could actually be a detriment <laughs> but <laughs> they all want to see the movie and i'm like okay i i have to admit you know as a as an artist i did initially recoil against the idea of losing the r and now i can honestly say like sincerely not just because we're promoting this movie that i am very glad that it's a pg-13 because i'm excited yeah. that teenagers are going to come in and see it it yeah. didn't change the tone that's the thing that always worries me sure is if the thing that you're changing something. That you're sacrificing is the tone of how the movie was set out. I think you're you're ending up, you know, kind of cutting off one of your own feet. Mm-hmm. In this case, it didn't change the tone. It just one of the major things they made us tone down, and we still get away with a lot of it. Is blood? Yeah. This was never a particularly sexual movie. It was never all of that. There was not an enormous amount of swearing. There was a little bit of drug use, but in the same way that I'm like. All these kids have seen Euphoria clips and it wouldn't have shocked them to be like, there's a person with a joint. I'm like, it's legal now. You've seen your parents probably. Um, But to tone down the blood while it was daunting didn't change the movie. And in fact, now, like she said, I'm navigating like young like fans and stuff coming on to Instagram and being like, hey, because um, I can't find the trigger warnings is, are there any guns in this I'm going to have to worry about? Or are there any, is there anything in this that would upset me? And I can honestly be like, no, not really. Like, yes, there are the the deaths, but they're kind of more comical. And when I've explained them to anyone that has that issue, they're like, oh, no, I'm really excited now because they're used to trying to avoid traumatizing content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one isn't. It's mainly just a really sweet movie that happens to have some <laughs> murders. In it. Yeah. yeah, insane murders. In I it. have to ask, did you guys get to keep anything from the film? <laughs> just She's got the tanning bed in her. It, apparently, it's delayed. We're getting to. We will get to. Hopefully, I don't. I. Know. I mean, s- spoiler alert. I have a character's headstone. 
Oh, the real, the real headstone. We did do that. Made of legit granite, and it is in my front yard. And now amazing. my neighbors think there is like, somebody buried in my front yard. That's amazing. And I'm, that's incredible. You know what? It weighs like two thousand pounds. It's heavy. And I have flowers on it. Like I keep it. <laughs> I keep it. I keep it up. I keep this grave up because I. Yeah, it's, I'm obsessed I love with that it. so much. That is that's incredible. So cool. Yeah. There How was d- a moment where they thought I had taken the prosthetic that we were discussing earlier <laughs> because they couldn't find it, and I was like, look. In the the last scene it was in it was wrapped in paper you guys probably just haven't unwrapped it at some way it's probably there but they thought i had it and i was like no i did not <laughs> so you don't have that. anything yet though you're gonna i have stuff. one of the girls rings the pink like taffy high school ring yeah definitely have one of those and i'm hoping that i'll get the the cat the oh, puppeteer yeah. cat. yes otherwise what is it gonna do just sit in a warehouse probably yeah or wind up in a place like right, yeah, exactly. Hey, awesome. hey, we're open. Either way, dude. If you guys wind up with it, I'll just come visit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll store for you. What were you looking for as far as the chemistry between your two leads, between Catherine and Cole? Like, what was it that they did in auditions, or or was it not an audition? Did, did you always have them in mind? I mean, what she had on the page was so kind of loving, especially from Creature. Mm-hmm. Because in the funny way that he is basically like the Mr. Darcy as a zombie, yeah, um, it's all longing. And it's very also like reliable longing. He does not go in and out of loving her. He just from the moment he's around her, he loves her. So I wanted to find someone that had a sort of like steadiness to them. And I've known Cole for years. So that was the easiest. He was the first to come on. Yeah. Um, and then Catherine was, I mean... Just the moment I met her, I took a meeting with her. I just kind of knew. And I and they had me watch Freaky and the Map of Tiny Perfect Things. And that was such a great cross-section of who she is that it just really worked out. And this was, again, still pandemic. So we did not get a chemistry read. We did not get to do the things that usually with romantic comedies, really? I would say, are 100% required. But thankfully, because they knew each other already... I had a little less fear based on that. Yeah. Interesting. So it's like a super physical performance, right? There's like barely any speaking between the two. So mm-hmm. wow. Did, was there a lot of choreography that went into, cause I know like watching Catherine's performance, it's really wild because she is acting like she is not in the, in the era that she's really in. She's like some of her movements, the way she holds her hands, like claws behind her in some scenes, like she's moving <laughs> like she's in Nosferatu. Yeah. Like she's it, <laughs> She's pulled out of one of those movies almost in a lot of the scenes and the way he's kind of developed this universal monster mashup of the mummy and you know the Frankenstein's monster. Was that something that they brought on their own or did you have some sort of training going on to kind of get them there? Cole's always wanted to be a monster, so he was like ready. He's and ready, yeah. But I had him do a couple months of mime work. Oh, wow. So I had him go study mime work because I think silent film actors are also such a big part of Creature. Mm -hmm. And especially with her loving Caligari, I was like, I feel like he's somewhere between Buster Keaton and like Mr. Darcy was where I wanted him to land. And in her case, in Catherine's case, on the page, it would talk about how she walks funny. Yeah. That she was like swanning around. And I think Catherine just took that and ran with it. Yeah. (laughs) And the costumes helped a lot too. Megan, who did all of our costume work, oh, a lot of those were, were her sick. literal cost—not uh, her costumes. Those were her wardrobe from when she was that age. No way! So what? one of one of Catherine's main outfits is Megan's like prom dress. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, cool. isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah. She there's like a behind the scenes where she talks about it, but like she and I would talk about it very early on before we put Catherine even in anything, and a lot of what she pulled was even her own stuff. 
That's sick. And then Carla Gugino is so <laughs> versatile. Like she's been in everything. Like she, True Beverly Hills, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? True Beverly Hills, and then all of you know the horror stuff she's been doing lately with Mike Flanagan and the Spy Kids movies. Like she plays everybody, oh, right? She's so great. And I've never seen her in a role like this. It was so fun. Like she looks like someone who'd knock on the door at Pee Wee's Playhouse or something. hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like just and so I said, extreme. What a description. Like it was so fun to see her. Was that? character on the page like that or is that all Carla's approach to this wild so persona was was the character on the page like that in terms of the things that she says not not necessarily yes, it's like more the delivery no, and the, you that, know, the, I, that's Carla the showmanship like she, of it and, all. and I knew I mean when I heard Carla was going to be in the movie I was like I will be on set those days oh. and I was stalking her fangirling over her um but it was she Janet could have gone a couple of ways yeah like, it's actually kind of a difficult, well, that kind of, it is a difficult character to play because it's like, obviously this is an abusive person, but like, what's driving her? Mm. How self-aware is she? Right. Is she, does she hate herself for being like this or is she totally oblivious to what she is? And Carla just like, for me, found like the perfect, like almost lovable take on Janet because she's terrible. But like, I always say to Zelda, I can relate to her so hard. I'm like, this is... Maybe it's just because I'm like the old mom now, but I'm like, this girl living in my house is annoying as fuck. <laughs> like, I don't like Lisa. <laughs> so, I get it. Like, maybe maybe the way she goes about it isn't great, but I understand that desire to just be like, can we all just be normal people? Right, right, and, right. And like, be a family and like, cut it out. <laughs> she she had it. a lot of input, too, on hair and makeup. Because I had put stuff aside being like, I think this is the direction, but I want to hear from you as well. And you never know, too. With women, I always want them to feel comfortable in what they're wearing. I know there are some people that curate a certain sort of like trying to get people out of their comfort zone. I prefer the opposite, especially if you know where the character is going to go for you. Why would I then dictate how you feel like you should be in the skin of it? So she really went with... The colors and my favorite was as well. We weren't originally going to have her in that candy striper nurse outfit. And she was like, no, 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 please do. And we even got her that little pin that's a that's a bedpan. I am obsessed with that pin. I didn't even notice it. Was She's a wearing bedpan. a tiny bedpan. Oh my no gosh, that's amazing. Way. And these little things that she just loved and was very fond of like the the kind of the armor of this woman being like for me, I chose it uh, the colors she wore because I was telling her about like how in nature Pretty much all the toxic, venomous things are bright neon colors. And that was so the 80s. And she's like, oh, my God, put me in every poisonous color out there. So she's like dressed like a poison dart frog from the Amazon, like the entire movie. (laughs) So fun. Okay, I wanted to talk about that dream sequence a little bit and just like the production design in general, because that was definitely on the page, by the way, the Pabst Blue Ribbon dress. Yeah, (laughs) which I when I write things like that, I think to myself, ideally, this is what I want. I never because it doesn't always come to fruition and the fa- when when I first came down to New Orleans and I saw the Babs Blue Ribbon dress being constructed I thought damn <laughs> like that was one of the more exciting moments in my career to be like this is a really ridiculous thing that I have manifested with the help of these talented craftsmen I was initially worried they weren't going to give us permission because I'm like how do you even explain this to a company <laughs> right, 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 right. Where I was like hey so like not really relevant to them drinking paps but like she's going to be in this dress and to their credit God bless paps blue ribbon they're like yeah for whatever 
<laughs> Go ahead. That's amazing. So, great. That's so, so we great. made this beautiful like Americana. It's beautiful. Oh god, that dress was stunning. And how did the how did the mechanics work of just like the different animated uh, parts that are in that dream sequence? I mean, it's like a part of trip to the moon and, you know, again, goes into that German expressionism. Then it you know becomes Bride of Frankenstein. That movie always meant a lot to me. And it was the beginning of cinema for me. You know, I've done quite a lot of the history deep dive, but like not unlike Caligari. Voyage dans la Lune was the beginning of of people using the medium of film to dream, to translate their dreams to some, to show people things that they couldn't even imagine at the time. And it was so wonderful to be able to use that in that part of the scene out the window. And we use it on the closet as well. Mm -hmm. Like her just being that much of a film nerd that I think, you know, isn't at that, certainly at that time wouldn't have been that common was really important to me, but the dream as well. A lot of it was inspired by singing in the rain too. that whole sequence with, um, the dance in the kind of red expressionist room where she's in the green dress. Mm -hmm. So the walls were painted red with, um, black and white kind of, uh, painterly strokes. That room, even though it's black and white in the movie, is red. Oh, cool. Um, red translates really well to being turned to black and white. So, like, there was a lot of stuff like that. Like, what you'd put on the page with Caligari and with her kind of also being on drugs. <laughs> I was like, mm, what does a drug trip sequence look like in a, like, teenage girl's brain that's not at that moment. She's kind of more, it's not terror. It is kind of like a, an a exploration of, like, is it shame? How does she feel? Is she... yeah. I wanted to approach it not being like a scary dream sequence. Mm. It's more like unsettling. And how did Amazing. you do? The, how did you do the thing where she's um, at one point like she's walking through the house and it becomes like the cemetery? Was that one? Oh, that's just, just a practical. Just constructed like that? No, it's two shots stitched oh, together. Yeah, with, there were trees in the house. Yeah, <laughs> it's a white oh. pan. The the uh, it's just a. I mean, I love that kind of nerdy stuff that isn't really all that complicated. Sure. It's literally just one of the trees crosses in front of frame and behind that tree is now we're in the forest. That's so, so it's just cool. two shots. We did have to make sure it's at the exact same distance and the exact same speed, but I just love that kind of stuff. Oh man. <laughs> As an audience member it is like just lights your neurons on fire to see that stuff. So it's so fun. So fun. And then there's a song kind of, at, if there's an anthem to this movie, I would say that it's that, that galaxy, uh, that galaxy 500 song. It's, that was on the page. I put me, that in there. Yeah. Is that something you were listening to when you were oh, writing yeah. it? Or, yeah. I had a whole playlist I made of like late eighties sort of, goth alternative yeah. type music and I wish every single song was in there but you know that's always the we hardest tried. part it's getting Get clearance right yeah some people mm -hmm. really want a lot of money for their songs oh god there was yeah. a moment and I'm like I'm all for them getting their money but there was Same. a moment where you're reading some of it where they're like they want $700,000 sure. you're like cool our entire music budget <laughs> was like yeah. 300 not gonna happen but we still got really amazing songs and then thankfully the galaxy one really worked out yeah, because that was on the page and that was one of the few on the page that we could afford. And we're, I'm really happy is in there. I hope that uh, the kids discover Galaxy 500. Oh, so bad. And the score was amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Isabella, Isabella Summers. Who's like, so yeah, good. who's like uh, anyone who's listening who might not know, she's really behind the heartbeat of Florence and the Machine for yeah. years and years and years. And she brings like this really other otherworldly whimsy to everything we had a lot of fun listening to soundtracks i sent her the burbs oh as well perfect yeah yeah like, yeah this feels like that but we got really great music and i'm a testament to that is the fact that when i was reading the script she had put songs and scenes 
And it gave me even just a jumping off point to then find the music we did have. Like When in Rome being popular again oh, yeah. was really nice for me because I love The Promise. It's such a good song. I guess just just closing out, I mean, Zelda, I know you're you're a massive horror fan. Oh, yeah. Tell us just a little bit about that. Your first experience seeing a horror film, what that was like for you and how it turned you into a fan. Huh. I'm actually not sure. My memory is not great, but I did. The first one I can remember really responding to and being so energetic about probably was Alien. Yeah. I think it's why it lingers with you so much because that's the first one that I took home and was like, oh my God, I love this entire universe. And guy, like Giger's work just so immediately resonated with me. All that organic grotesqueness was Mm -hmm. like my bag. (laughs) Yeah. So very different than obviously this movie, but that's what I think is so great about film is like I can absolutely worship at the church of alien and also be someone who's like i really love yeah camp like I, someone the other day was talking about frankenhooker and i love that movie so much <laughs> and this movie feeling like it pairs with it yeah, I'm like, it, does, yeah it does a great double feature <laughs> so you were pretty young when you saw the aliens i'm assuming oh, right? Yeah, alien? Yeah. probably 13 wow i would think so and then what what were some of the other movies that you discovered along the way that have become i your watch favorites everything. yeah do you have right. any kind of benchmark horror films that define the genre for you personally? Things you go back and watch every once in a while. I mean, I rewatch all the time because I watch about two movies a day if I'm not on set. Really? Yeah. So one of the movies I always turn people towards is I Saw the Devil, which is a Korean. Um, kind yeah. of their, it's kind of almost their kind of Silence of the Lambs because it's about serial killers and it's about the kind of um, psychology behind it. Yeah. I love movies like that as well. But I watch everything. Wow. What recently have you seen that has blown your socks off? In a horror world, um, there was what is the Spanish language one that um, where there's evil with, with oh, wherever um, the one with the goats, yeah, um, that one was really interesting. Where kind of de- demonic possession is contagious, mm-hmm. that was really fascinating. We were just talking about Pontypool that I always recommend to people because yeah. I'm like everyone talks about how movies are so expensive to make, and I'm like Pontypool is. One of those concepts that someone just delivered because they could and they had the energy and the time and it's so contained and yet one of the most alarming movies for people sometimes. Right, right. What about you? What have you yeah. watched? Curious I watched about two movies a year. <laughs> uh, I do it when I get the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I do... I, I never miss an episode of Bluey, but uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Bluey like, is awesome. No, I know it's just like I do not have command of my television. Mm-hmm. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what have I been watching lately? Mm. Doesn't have to be horror. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to be horror. Like I'm humiliated. You're like Bluey. I'm like Bluey is awesome. Yeah, I no, watch Bluey a lot. Also, the way they record it is really fascinating. Do you know this about Bluey? No. So that's some of the creators and the people involved in it. It's their kids. And they keep it completely anonymous because they don't want anyone to then be too curious about the kids, but they'll rotate them too so that it's never, you know, one of the kids feeling like they're too attached to this. Oh, that's, that's And they really just follow them around with a microphone like they did on Monsters Incorporated. I did not know that. And I was like, that's Incredible. so cute. Because then it's just kids being cute and they're like, great. And then we'll I just also make didn't stuff know they did that on Monsters Inc. They, 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 they oh, yeah. Do? Boo is straight up just one of the really? animals. Really? That just makes perfect whatever. sense because it's so yeah. real. They had a room full of toys and. The voice of Boo, who was a young girl, like a little toddler, they would just have her play with the toys. And that's why everything there, because she's like, la, 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 Mike Wazowski. It's just her playing with the toys. And they would tell her what the toys were called. And she, she would just, just interact with them. Oh, yeah. so that's cute. genius. So Zelda, other horror films 
uh, that are kind of in in the tank that I mean this seeing this it makes us so excited for <laughs> what else is to come too. I think the next one is going to be very different. Yeah. It's a psychological thriller, but I can't really talk much about it yet. That's great though. That's good yeah. news. We're but excited. I'm hoping to come back to Monster World too. <laughs> and Diablo, how about you? I, I wrote something that it's a comedy. It's not horror. Um not paranormal. It's just uh straight up teen <laughs> comedy. Kind of in the vein of Juno. I wrote it a few months ago just for funsies, and now I'm going to find someone to direct it. So. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Is that Sweet Valley High concept still kicking around? Oh, my God. I You don't understand how, what like a sore spot this is for me, because like I probably... T- maybe you talked about this you the did. last time yeah, I was here. Yeah, you did. Yeah. But there's there's like literally like 12 incredible songs that were written for that script. And oh, really? It, is, it was... Ugh. I'm telling you, it would be the greatest musical ever. It just... We could not push it forward at Universal. So... <sighs> But that was a long time ago. So I'm like, let's get that Would back it be going? revived somehow? Could I take it to Broadway? Like, I've thought yeah. about this. Oh, like, do Broadway. I know, right? But Catherine like, would do it. <laughs> Gallagher would come back for you in a heartbeat. She'd be like, what do so you need? Fun. Yeah, she would. Wow. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. And he, like, I'm, I'm wondering, Diablo, do you have like, do you have a bunch of like old horror scripts that you've written that just you didn't do anything with i just kicking around i have an unfinished one kicking around that i need to finish that i think is is definitely the most um straight horror like gimme overt (laughs) gore scary thing i've ever written wow but i and and i'm really proud of the concept and i just have to push myself across the finish line well if you need us to babysit your kids so you can finish I think you guys have your hands full. Our fourteen-year-old is now like it's having like a live-in babysitter, which is good. Once they get to that age, it's like yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) I've been doing a little bit of that too. Yeah, it's it's awesome, right? We can actually leave them alone and go for a little bit. And are you bugged still about like oh, we need a Jennifer's Body follow-up or a TV show? Yes, I I want to do a sequel. I want to do like I I I am not done with Jennifer's Body. Oh, that's I just need to find. I need to partner with people who believe in it as much as I do. Oh, and there's that a, there's hasn't a, really happened yet. There's so. a lot of people out there who believe in it, so yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm confident of that. I need someone who believes in it has like a billion dollars. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> not me. <laughs> well, you guys, again, thank thanks you so much. so much, and thanks for making this extraordinary film. I think people are just going to lose their minds over it. It's so yes. unique and original. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for thank you. everything thanks, you continue to do. All right, Lisa Frankenstein's in theaters everywhere February 9th. Diablo and Zelda, everybody. Yeah. Was there was there one scene in particular that? Oh, absolutely! That, that was like, scene. oh my god, was that the one that, that was like? Okay. Well, that was the one I had the most fun explaining to people because yeah. in my mind it was always slow motion, and originally I really wanted the 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Song, oh, that's funny. And apparently it was so it was very expensive. So we went in a different direction. But that one was for me, even just on the page, I was like, I know exactly how I would film this sequence where it's this incredibly melodramatic, like Shakespearean moment, but also one of the funniest, silliest things I could imagine. And I loved that so much. Like I was laughing out loud thinking about just filming that scene. That's so interesting. It, I, it's I can so Im- beautiful too though with the feathers yeah. and the blood. Right, yeah. it is. It's a, Liza's and, expression. The look on her face, I yes. love. Yes. I love the looks on both of the girls' faces. It's so, it's iconic. When it was a joyful day on set, as all good ridiculous <laughs> death days should be. It was like a joyful day on set. 
because it was just me and one of the we were using a phantom which is like this completely absurd camera that i should never have been allowed to use and i was like please gonna have it and they're like yes so we used it for one day and you're you're throwing a prosthetic that was it it was real because originally the movie was r-rated so this dick prosthetic does (laughs) exist um and we're just throwing it back and forth and you're like i'm literally for my job Throwing a ginormous penis prosthetic back and forth with a really lovely guy who is one of our makeup guys. (laughs) And there was a miscommunication that day on set, which is still one of the funniest things ever. And especially because people keep talking about intimacy coordinators right now. Yeah. And they're they're on whatever side of the fence they're on. This is completely separate from that. They had thought the prosthetic was going to be attached to someone. And it never was. It was never going to be on an actor. It's just like a, a chopped off prosthetic. Yeah. And so I look over at my monitors and there's the intimacy coordinator. And I was like, what are you what are you doing here? I, she was making sure nobody incurred emotional damage from, from yeah, watching flying a flying penis. Well, the funny thing about it was she looked at me and she went, I have no idea. And I went, oh, I think there's been I think they thought it was going to be on our young actor. Yeah. No, no, no. They're not even here right now. And she's like, oh. I went, well, you can check on my crew and make sure they're, they're all right okay. with what's happening. She looks over at the other monitors and there's about like seven, especially on a crew like this in New Orleans, like seven 40 year old men just watching it like it's a Sunday night football game. <laughs> and they were going, oh, oh, <laughs> it was the funniest. And she's like, I think they're good. I think yeah. we're all right. It's hard to traumatize a crew. Yeah. Usually. That was your Boo Crew podcast, episode 413. Special thanks to our guests, Diablo Cody and Zelda Williams. At time of release, Lisa Frankenstein is in theaters everywhere. February 9th, production tracks for this episode, provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, it is Trevor from the Boo Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP. Creation part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Home of the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.